out your window As far as you can see This beautiful country Is our heredity The way that we find it The way we pass it on The way that we remember When we have come and gone With the fire in the forest We can just let it burn No one can do it for us This much I've learned There's a fire in the forest This is KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. We also stream live at KZYX.org. It's Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales live in the Ukiah studio here at MCOE on a Thursday afternoon with a special open fifth Thursday hour of public affairs. So I'm going to take the opportunity to delve into what's going on in Sacramento. We have got uh, last week, Governor Newsom signed a whole huge package, $15 billion package of climate legislation. And today we have Paul Mason from Pacific Forest Trust here. Uh, I met Paul when he worked at Epic in the 1990s up in Humboldt County. Uh, he has a long history in our region and working on the ins and outs of forest policy in particular. I rely on Paul to translate legislation ease for me into plain English. And th- so that is what we're going to do today. We're going to explore this $15 billion climate package of bills and figure out what it does. So welcome, Paul. Thanks for being here. Great. It's nice to see you, Alicia. It's really nice to see you, too, over the radio there and you. to hear there you. <laughs> but we, we do this Zoom thing now, thanks to the pandemic. So, yeah, I get to see you while we while we talk. Um, we're going to look at the $15 billion climate resilience package signed by Governor Newsom. Uh, I'd love to talk about what it does, what it means for Mendocino County, translate some of the policy language into kind of practical uh English so that we can figure out what that what that means for our community. But first, can you start with a little bit of context? And it's funny because we're all living in the context, wildfires, smoke, drought. Um, some areas are getting floods, uh, higher temperatures. So we, we, we sort of live the context. But could you kind of tell us how uh, how this package of bills came to be? Sure. Um it's probably useful to take a couple of steps back, maybe go back over the last five years or so, um, as the context has really shifted an awful lot as we've um, really seen climate impacts manifesting much more dramatically, longer droughts, much more extreme fire seasons, fire behaviors. It's, you know, drier overnight, so fire behavior stays more active overnight. And... Um, it was really a pivotal turning point in 2017, which was when we had just a whole series of calamitous fires around Santa Rosa, over on Paradise, down in the Southern California area. And there was just thousands of homes lost. Many people died. And it really um, changed the fire discussion in Sacramento from being like, you know, fires happen we try and keep them out of towns and they burn some forest and, you know, Cal Fire can handle it to an awareness like we're way behind where we need to be. We have spent the last hundred years putting out fires, you know, just taking kind of an approach of fire suppression when California evolved with fire. 
I mean, the sort of historical reconstructions of what fire in California probably looked like before Europeans showed up was on the order of 4 million acres a year burning between, uh, you know, indigenous people setting fires, um, you know, lightning strikes, various ways you start fires. And a lot of that would have been at lower intensity. And obviously there weren't, you know, towns and cities everywhere that complicated, um, you know, how much fire you can have. But California used to have a lot of fire. And then, you know, Europeans came in, we radically modified the landscape, we cut down all the big old trees, they came back, the forest came back much more densely, uh, and then we eliminated fire. So the landscapes that we're dealing with today don't really have a historical analog. They never looked like this. If you look back, you know, 500 years, um, they're just much more, generally speaking, and obviously painting a broad brush here, but generally speaking, they're much more dense. They're much more flammable. We've spent decades just throwing more resources at Cal Fire to, you know, put fires out and prevent property loss and, and life loss. But, you know, 2017, I think, was really the point when it became clear, like, that's not going to work anymore. That's not enough. And then, of course, we've had, you know, calamitous fire years really almost every year since then, with each one seemingly bigger than the last. But up through 2017 or eight, well, up until 2018, Cal Fire spent billion, or I mean, the state spent billions of dollars a year on suppression. I mean, there's just basically an unlimited checkbook for, you know, Cal Fire planes, helicopters, all the things, and it spent almost nothing on trying to address the fact that fire suppression and you know people building out into you know flammable areas of the landscape have really increased the problem. So there really wasn't much of a, you know, grant programs or even a very aggressive planning effort for how we might deal with this. A few million dollars a year, maybe, for like the California Forest Improvement Project for small landowners to do a little bit of generally small-scale forest improvement projects. In 2018, in response to those fires in Santa Rosa and elsewhere, there was a big... um a big package of bills that all came together in one big final legislative, well, bill, um, that Assemblyman Wood and a number of other people in the legislature, there's a little group of maybe half a dozen, who really put their foot down and said, look, we are not going to let this move forward unless we get a commitment that the state's going to spend at least a billion dollars on prevention, on being proactive about the problem over the next five years. And at the time, that seemed like an enormous amount of money. It is an enormous amount of money. $500 million, or I'm sorry, $200 million a year as just a baseline commitment to dealing with the problem with a good portion of that dedicated to expanding the use of prescribed fire and the rest for grants for forest health and then for fire protection around communities. That was a big deal. Um, and then of course we kept seeing more and more, um, extreme fire behavior including last year. And so that set the context for sort of coming into, um, you know, this legislative season. Of course, all of this is happening in the context of the pandemic as well, which has made everything sure. very complicated in terms of moving forward. Well, and also we are in kind of a, an ongoing disaster ever since 2017. And, and I wonder, I remember the legislative session right after the fires in 2017, and it feels 
in a lot of ways, like a mad scramble, you know, and I'm not sure disasters are the best time to legislate. Uh, but what else we got? We gotta, we've gotta move forward. So I wonder too about how, um, how legislators are sorting through some, some of the more craven things they can get away with because everybody's in a panic versus really well thought out forward, uh, forward looking pieces of legislation that are going to help us. That's a really good, um, point. And, we were fortunate that, you know, coming out of those, you know, sort of initial big disasters and the coming out of the drought that killed all of the pine trees over in the Sierra, where we had that really large bark beetle driven die off. There had been, um, the Brown administration had created a forest management task force and that evolved into more of a wildfire task force that had been meeting over the last few years. And then over the course of 2020, really spent some time coming to coming up with a really pretty thoughtful action plan of about a hundred different um, achievable policy changes and activities that we should implement on the landscape to try and rise to the challenge that we're looking at. So they're actually, and that was pretty well vetted amongst people who have some expertise uh, on these issues. Cause to be fair, most legislators don't have a lot of depth in these issues. They know they need to deal with them, and there is a huge amount of public interest in dealing with them, but your average legislate, average legislator just doesn't know a lot about the nuance there. So it was really helpful that um, there actually had been some, you know, more thoughtful technical work that happened over time. So there was kind of a roadmap for many of these things that we uh, were trying to get to. Part of that um, was a goal of getting to the point where we were treating, and I'm using air quotes here on the radio because that's super effective, um, a million acres a year um, to try and reduce fire risk. So that would be a combination of you know ecological thinning, prescribed fire, reforestation, because there's just enormous areas that have burned and haven't um, reforested, um, conservation, different ways that we would be addressing the issue with half of that happening on private lands and half of that happening on public lands. So we're nowhere near that scale right now. No, we're maybe did, a third of that. did they get to like 30,000 acres or something? Something very small. Very small um, for, you know, what we've been doing for prescribed fire. But, you know, when you start counting all the different things, we're maybe at a couple hundred thousand acres um, statewide. But that's just nowhere near the scale that we need to get to, given how far behind we are in restoring more natural structure on the landscape Mm -hmm. and how quickly fire behavior is changing. So we had this um, sort of roadmap that came out in January and then in April, the legislature. um, So the, the budget is really the big story over the last couple of years And it's a really weird story as well, Um, because as we're entering into the pandemic, everyone assumed that this was going to be an economic catastrophe as well as a medical catastrophe. And so last June, when they were finalizing um, the the budget approved, you know, in June of 2020, they cut everything back to the bone. You know, no discretionary grant programs. We're going to hold all that money back because we think we're going to be in a position where we're just, you know, don't have any money. Well, that didn't actually turn out to be the case. You know, people continued to make money in the stock market and there was additional money that came from the federal government. So there was actually a whole bunch of money to work with when the legislature came back um, in 2021. 
And so they made up for not having made any investments in 2020 in a lot of these programs by um, dedicating $536 million to a whole suite of different activities that are sort of driven by this overall action plan. So that's, you know, investments in forest health for thinning projects. It's, you know, fuels reduction around communities. It's funding to state parks to reduce fuels around their visitor centers and some of the various places you might want to mitigate risk on, you know, parklands, on fish and wildlife, refuge lands, just a whole broad suite of investments. And that was, that was in April. That was... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, so that's that's what was happening. Sort of they took the money away, and then so people started to go, hey, um, looks like you're not funding all of these wildfire prevention efforts that you all talked about. What's going on here? And then they put the money back in. But then they faced the problem, I believe, that the capacity to actually do work on this scale, the scale that's needed, doesn't actually exist yet in the state. Yeah, that's going to be an enormous problem all over the place. I mean, honestly, there's just not enough of anything <laughs> to address the challenge. There's not enough loggers. There's not enough um, mills. There's not enough places where you would take your smaller stuff, like little biomass facilities. There's just not enough of any of it to move at the pace that we need to. So that's a whole another problem. And honestly, there's been a real scramble to identify so what are all the thoughtful projects? You know, like, let's start right. with low-hanging fruit. What are the things we want to be doing around local communities and along roads and places where it's like, okay, we know these are going to be important risk reduction. Like activities. triaging. We can't do everything. So let's just right. do the stuff that's really going to save lives and prevent catastrophe. But then how do we also start looking more broadly across the landscape and be like, oh, okay, well, th- there's a whole area that's just dense 40-year-old dug fir that was logged back in the 1980s, and it's incredibly fire-prone. You know, they might not be on the top of anybody's list today, but, you know, how do we start identifying those areas and, you know, helping to fund those interventions or otherwise make it feasible to do some thinning there so that they grow up into bigger, older, healthier trees, better habitat, but are also less explosively flammable. Right, and then we're not even done. <laughs> we're not even addressing the the economic system that created the nightmare scenario that we have in the forest and the you know the the century of really extractive logging practices that was overseen by some of the same agencies we're relying on to do this fire mitigation work. So, but wh- one thing I want to ask you about before we launch into the the bills and the climate package um, we're talking about the, we're talking with Paul Mason of Pacific Forest Trust, who is, um, the vice president for policy and incentives and is about the most knowledgeable person I know, uh, dealing with forestry legislation and policy. And he lives and works in Sacramento, uh, at the Capitol. So, uh, I feel like that he's our best guide through. Um, I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio for a special public affairs hour here this Thursday afternoon. Um, but let's talk about just uh, some terminology real quick, because uh, when we're talking about climate policy, um, the word resilience uh, is all over these bills, but there's not a whole lot looking at what I might call prevention. Like resilience is sort of like how we're going to survive the climate crisis. And I'm not sure this particular package deals so much with how we're going to avert 
the climate crisis or um, maybe not? But can you talk about those approaches, like whether or not we're going to adapt and be and, and sort of live through it or whether or not we're actually going to try to stop it from from hitting us as hard? Sure. I mean, since 2006, California has had goals for um, reducing greenhouse gases. In, AB, in 2006, AB 32 was passed. They said we're going to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions to 1990 levels by 2020. And that was a huge deal at the time. That was really California stepping up and saying, we're actually going to put this in statute and we're actually going to do it. And, and we made it. Gonna, yeah, and we made it. And, you know, there was a recession in there that reduced the economic output and helped make that a little bit easier, but we made it. That was the easy step. We have since set a target that said um, we're going to get 40% below that by 2030. And California is currently working on that goal and is updating plans to get there. There had been uh, an effort in the legislature to say we're going to be net zero by 2045. That bill did not pass this year. There was a lot of opposition, not surprisingly, um, to making that a hard statutory target. Honestly, getting the 2030 target is already, I mean, we're not on target, we're nowhere near on target for that. And that's being pretty aggressive to get there. Wow. So honestly, in many ways, I'm more than happy to focus on the deadline that's eight years away and really figure out how we're going to fundamentally change a lot of our transportation and fossil fuel systems. Because to get to 2045, there's a lot of things you have to be well underway by 2030. Uh, so California has super aggressive goals, even if they're not as aggressive as they should be, and as people would like them, some people would like them to be, compared to anywhere else in the country, they're just pretty miles ahead. And we're making huge investments there as well. I mean, my focus is on the sort of resilience and adaptation side, for reasons I'll get to in a minute, but California has spent billions and billions of dollars to do everything from provide incentives for people to be able to get rid of their old gas car and get an electric car, particularly targeted at lower income um, families, electrifying ports and railroads, um, which has really big air quality benefits as well down around the ports of Long Beach and Oakland, where you have a lot of short haul trucks that are going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Electrifying those is a huge opportunity. It's also wildly expensive. So, you know, there was billions of dollars in this year's budget for those sorts of activities as well. The hard fact of the matter, though, is that climate change is already here. All the carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas pollutants that we put in the atmosphere are going to be there for well more than a century. So we're, it's like, you know, climate change is like a big train. Once it's rolling, slowing it down takes a long time. And we're not, you know, at a global level, when you look at a lot of the other developing countries and even the rest of the United States, we're not even slowing down yet, much less turning it around. So we're going to see a lot of climate change. And we're going to see that really dramatically in California with our Mediterranean climate and our long, uh, long dry spells. I mean, we actually just today here in Sacramento are um, beating a all-time record for most days since we've had any rain. It has not rained in Sacramento since March 19th. Um, so we're seeing these sort of heightened stresses um, manifesting. Um, and a lot of that's really going to be dramatic uh, in the way fire 
happens in California. Mm-hmm. Fire season is going to be longer. Scales of fires is likely to be bigger and more intense. And we have we're starting from a point where the forests, broadly speaking, don't look anything like they used to, like they would have if we had never intervened at all, if we hadn't taken away all the big trees and suppressed fire so that the forest came back really densely. So a big priority is this sort of race to recreate that sort of resilience where forests could take fire because fire burns through forests. That's a natural state of being. Hopefully it's burning through at a low enough intensity that your that your forest survives, or at least a good portion of it survives. There's going to be some mortality, some trees will die, but you'll have a good portion of surviving forest across the landscape. We're, we're not there right now. Mm-hmm. When you look at a lot of the big fires that we're seeing in the interior right now, the Dixie Fire being the obvious one, that's almost a million acres, the scale of 100% mortality forest there, where it just goes mile after mile after mile of all the trees dead, that shouldn't be that way. So the, the race is to try and mm-hmm. restore enough diversity to the structure and openness to the structure while retaining the large trees that will be the most fire resilient and will store the most carbon and be the sort of critically missing habitat as quickly as we can. So right. when we talk about resilience, we're talking about the ability to survive the disruptions that are going to come from climate, whether that's fire or sea level rise. They're going to happen, but how well are we positioned to roll with it? Right, and we that gets me back to the question that I had about legislating during disaster or legislating during crisis because one of the things that we've seen on our landscape in Mendocino County and throughout the the timber forested regions is that a whole lot of lip service toward forest health that disguises a whole lot of destruction. So who's going to oversee it and who's going to make sure that it really is about forest health? And I mean, we're involved in, uh, I I can't tell you how many Cal Fire foresters I've talked to about Jackson Demonstration State Forest who won't acknowledge that the larger trees are more fire resilient because of the activities that they're currently engaged in out in Jackson Demonstration State Forest. So we know that there's a lot of drivers, uh, the, the logging activity out there, uh, there's a lot of drivers for land, mu- land use practices that, that aren't necessarily taking us to these good outcomes in our, in our, in fact, can create a feedback loop that exacerbates these problems. So that's one of my questions for all of the legislation, uh, is who's, making sure that this is happening in a good way, who's overseeing it, what's the environmental review. But let's let's dig in. Let's talk about the the climate package that the that the governor signed uh this week or last week. Um we've got let's see the press democrat breaks it down this way uh, out of the 15 billion dollars uh, of legislation 5.2 billion for drought response and water resilience, 3.7 billion for extreme heat and sea level rise, 3.9 billion for electric vehicle investment and infrastructure, 1.5 billion for wildfire response and forest resilience, a lot of what we've been just now talking about, and 1.1 billion for sustainable agriculture. So while the forest does take center stage, um, there, for us, there's a whole lot of different kind of policy uh, solutions that the state is looking at and that touches all sorts of different aspects of climate. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously at Pacific Forest Trust, we sort of focus on forests. Um, but, you know, the fact that there was funding to work with this year um, 
presented this opportunity to make really substantial investments across all of these different areas to help prepare for the climate we're going to be living in. And I mean, it's easy to lose track of the scale of the numbers because, you know, millions, billions, it's all kind of, um, (laughs) it's all a lot. You you lose scale and we, you know, we're in California. The numbers are always big. This is a ton of money. I mean, this really is just an enormous, like, you know, when we've done a bond, like a voter approved bond in the past, uh, it has been maybe um, three, four, five, six billion dollars for different things. So having this scale um, of funding to work with is really unprecedented. All right. Well, we have just been joined by a special guest. Uh, Assemblyman Jim Wood is here with us. Hey, Assemblymember Wood, how are you? Hi, I think I might be late. A little bit late, but <laughs> hey, we're glad to see you. And it's actually perfect timing because we just were getting into um, the governor signing the climate package. Um, and I wanted to ask about AB9 which is one of the bills that was signed last week, uh, and and you were the sponsor of the bill. So this is great. Perfect timing. Thank you. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. <laughs> well, I apologize for, I, I think I was supposed to be on at 3 o'clock. I had a, a, a conflict in notes. So I uh, so anyway, I, I, I'm late, but uh, I'm here anyway. So well, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about uh, AB9. Uh, AB9 uh, is kind of a, a kind of the culmination of a lot of work that we've been doing on trying to focus on fire prevention and fire preparedness. Uh, and um, one of the challenges that we're facing in California, obviously, with these catastrophic wildfires that that uh, seem to span an entire year uh, now, is that we uh, don't have the time to do a lot of the prevention work that we really need to be doing. And so what we're trying to do with, uh, which which we believe we will achieve uh, through AB9, is to uh, change the way we look at prevention, to heighten the prevention to a, a, a higher level uh, so that we can get more people involved uh, in prevention uh, and get some of those activities done. Right now, um, uh, firefighters are, are spending the bulk of their time fighting fires, and so the prevention work gets set aside. So what AB9 does is it um, basically creates a new division under the state fire marshal uh, that will help with planning and moving some of these projects forward. Uh, and the best part from my perspective is that the folks that are going to be doing this work will be the lowest priority folks to ever be dispatched to fires so that we hope that they'll be there all year long to do this work. And that's really what's critically important. So they're not getting called off to fight fires. Their job is focused on prevention exclusively. Yes. That's, that's, that is the goal. They, they still could be called off, but they are supposed to be the lowest, uh, by design, the lowest uh, tier folks to be going off to fires. And so that's been a big challenge for us. And, and, you know, we saw this, uh, with the, uh, uh, the West Hills project in, uh, uh west of Ukiah there. Uh, this goes back a couple of years. Uh, uh, one of the, one of the battalion chiefs, uh, took time away from his vacation to come and meet with us as we were trying to coordinate with the city, the county, Cal Fire, uh, and to try to get this this project off the ground. And that was after he had spent a significant amount of time at the campfire. So, uh, so, and that was December. 
So, so the challenge we're facing is that the season is much longer. Uh, there's less time to do the work, and the workforce that should be out there doing it is drawn off to fight fires. So, trying to change that dynamic. Well, and the scale uh, that we're actually working on prevention is so different than it was five years ago as well. I mean, one of the things I was sharing before you were able to join us was that you know, in the mid, you know, I started working in Sacramento in 2002, I guess, and up through about 2017, I can't remember a year we had more than maybe five million dollars we were spending proactively on sort of forest restoration for resilience type activities. That changed dramatically in 2018 when you and others really put your foot down and said we're not going to vote for this uh, this big fire package unless we get a commitment for $200 million a year to really try and address the root causes of the problem. And then, frankly, $200 million a year feels small compared to the level of investments that we're making now. And we'll need to continue to make where we're in the billion-dollar-a-year range for proactive activities, and that's probably, to my mind, kind of a minimum level that we're going to need to be at over the next decade or more to really be in a position that we need to be by, you know, later in the century. And the way way I understand AB9, too, is that it's kind of trying to situate us for that future, right? So you're creating uh, this new branch at the fire marshal's office to away from CAL FIRE and and sort sort of taking us in this different direction. Do I have that right? You do. You do. And, you know, the challenge, you know, is that we want to get, uh, we want, we don't want there to be a one size fits all approach to how we do this. The state is very different in the way, uh, Southern California looks a lot different than Northern California. Uh, the, the watersheds are different. The, 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 uh, flora and fauna are, are, are different. And so we, what we don't want is for regional entities to be able to, uh, plan uh, for fire prevention projects, vegetation management projects that are regionally specific. And so when you look at uh, look at Northern California, for example, there's a group called the North Coast Resource Partnership, and there's nine counties involved in that. And it's tribes, it's local government, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's county government all working together on projects and they've been very very successful um and you know it isn't you know so many times grants that go out for projects in this state they go out to things that are shovel ready right off you know ready let's go it's it's ready to go but those are not always the projects that are the most important they're the projects that are ready but they're not always the most important so this rffc rffc program is designed to try to get to get to get these projects planned and get them further up the up the list of importance so we can get to them and that's uh, that there is money there was money in the budget to to fund that this bill codifies that program and puts a focus squarely on uh, regional folks to be able to do that not just um, the North Coast Resource Partnership but our fire safe councils um, our prescribed burn associations, uh, our resource conservation districts as well. So it's outsourcing kind of to the grassroots so that, uh, in, that instead of, and this isn't, this isn't the planning to actually implement the projects. It, this sets up a process by which regional and local groups can develop these urgent fire, uh, mitigation plans. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> It really it helps to drive capacity to some of these entities that have that don't have the resources, so that you might be able to actually develop that 
local project outside of Willits that the Fire Safe Council has been looking at for some time. That's one piece of this. But then, as Jim was saying, and as you and I were talking about earlier, stepping back from the stuff that's right in our face, like these are the projects we need to do right now, and looking, you know, in different parts of the watershed where you have these areas of really high fire risk, but that nobody's banging the drum saying we need to go do that right now. How do we flag the places that are most important and go deal with those and not just do the things that have the loudest advocates? And so I think that's a tremendously important part of where we need to take the whole fire conversation. Uh, and these different regional planning efforts are one of the ways that we're going to get there, probably the main way we're going to get there. And there was significant funding in the budget this year, I think $110 million to get these up and running around the state with the North Coast Resource Partnership, frankly, being sort of out in front on getting it together. Mm-hmm. And then you can find them online if you were looking for it and look under their planning section. Yeah, so in a community like Mendocino County, what's what's going to be the result of AB9? What are we going to see in our community? Like, um, you know, are, are there going to be a bunch of new offices of, of different planning uh, groups or, or what, how, especially with the, um, the fire marshal's office side of things and the prevention projects in homes and buildings? Um, how's that going to look to our community and how can we access it? Well, you probably won't see much difference in the community. A big part of this is trying to get the resources into the hands of the people that are already doing this kind of work. And also uh, to provide potentially the technical assistance uh, in some of the grant application processes. You know, some of our smaller counties or more rural counties uh, have a hard time competing uh, against the the large counties. And uh, where, you know, I, I use the example in L.A. County probably has you know, whole divisions that do nothing but write grants and, and probably never see the projects. And then we've got all these people in Mendocino County actually do the projects and, and struggle to get the grants and, and, and to get them in a way that, that gets the attention of. And I understand what, from what you're saying, it's like, it's, it's really quite a, a, an ordeal to even have a shovel ready project that you can apply for, for one of these state grants for anyway. So this, this, AB9 sets in place some structures to help create those projects. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, it is, and it is, it, that's, that's probably a tale that you'll see through other counties as well, other, especially rural counties that have been particularly hard hit. Uh, I uh, apologize. I don't know how to make this ding thing stop on my computer. <laughs> But uh, it's it's it is a it is just a challenge. I mean, we've got like I don't know, like thirty counties in this state that have a population of less than two hundred thousand people. Those are in general probably the areas that have have had the most catastrophic fires uh, in the last in the last five, six, seven years, and yet yet they struggle to get the resources they need to do these projects. That's the kind of thing we're trying to change here, uh, and uh, and also just raise the awareness of, of the need to get these projects done. Period, uh, and that's been that's been a challenge. We it, it's just really frustrating when when the workforce uh, and I, and this is not this is not a negative push on on Cal Fire. These guys are out there this time of year. They're away from their families for a long time. There's a lot of our other firefighters that are out there to support them. We just need more people, and we need them uh, to be able to work in in a different way. Um, which you know, it was truer in the days when he was in the Senate and the Assembly, and the conversation has changed a lot. There is an enormous amount more consensus around 
what we want to see in terms of forest outcomes. Um, and I think, frankly, a real awareness that we're going to need a lot of skilled people with chainsaws and places to take a lot of the wood because trees that we were, you know, there's a lot of commercially viable logs that need to come out of these recovering second and third growth forests that are worth something now. And we should utilize that. You're also right that, you know, there are forest practices in California that continue to lead to these simplified fire prone, you know, even age forests. And, you know, that's a hard thing to legislate out of existence, but I was having this conversation the other day. I think the physics of fire in California is going to change the conversation there. As you look, especially in the interior over, you know, in the Sierra and Cascade regions where, you know, we were talking about the Dixie fire burning a million acres. When that's burning through your 20 year old plantation and completely obliterating that across hundreds of thousands of acres, it's pretty clear that's not a functional business model. And that trying to shift to a type of forestry that can actually take a little bit of fire and isn't vulnerable to complete loss for 30 or 40 years. Um, I think that even some of the landowners who have been most committed to even age management are concerned about the vulnerability of that type of forestry in a climate changed world. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to get to, I, I think we ultimately win this argument. Those of us who would like to see more diverse structurally complex forestry in California. I think we ultimately win that argument just because fire is going to make even age forestry in the areas of high fire behavior. So it's probably more on the interior than in the coast. Um, that's going to drive the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and um, you know, one of the, the challenges that we've seen uh, throughout in areas in, in California that were logged extensively is that they were logged and then um, uh, in, in some cases, they were seeded with, uh, for, for trees to come back in. And so when Paul's talking about even age management, we're talking about places that got clear cut and then replanted. And then in many cases, really never paid any attention to for, for, for quite a while. And um, what we have now are large areas of California that were previously logged that have uh, an, a huge amount of growth on them that isn't really isn't healthy that's not the way that health the forests were uh you know hundreds of thousands of years ago uh you know areas where you've got you know 1600 trees per acre that's not a healthy forest and and so to get to a point where we have more of a healthy forest we're going to need to go in and do exactly what uh, what uh what uh Paul was talking about. No, sorry, I got a printer going in the background here. So, sorry. Well, uh, but my question for you too is, and I don't mean to play gotcha with you, but this is a very, no. very crucial issue for our community. Is is Cal, Cal, Cal Fire is the California Department of Fire and Forestry and Fire Protection, right? And they've just because out of necessity they've grown as a fire department, but they still also oversee forestry and uh, forestry on private lands. They're the ones who approve timber harvest plans and uh, create through the Board of Forestry the the rules for how forestry happens. Um, given the fact that they've overseen all of these years of, of extraction forestry in Mendocino County, are they the ones who should be leading us into the, the future of 
forest policy and dealing with forest health. Um, and I guess this isn't really the conversation that anybody really wants to have because everybody loves the work that Cal Fire is doing on the fire side of things. Uh, but we do have an engine here that is currently uh, practicing forestry uh, on our forest lands here that isn't geared toward the climate concerns and the climate future that, w- that we are facing. Well, I, I think that the part of the challenge there is that we're still talking about privately held land. And, and so right now, even as a state, we aren't really doing the best we could with our state-owned lands, our, our, the land that we as a state own. Uh, there are areas that I can walk, I can take you in, my, in the district that are, that are overgrown, that need to be, you know, be better cared for so that the, those forests can be healthier. Uh, more diverse and um, and uh, more resistant uh, and resilient to if should fire actually come. So the challenge, you know, one of the challenges we have, you have got these, you have large timber companies who own land. You also have small private landowners who may have bought some of this land, and now we're in a position where, like, they want to be able to go in and do some of this work, but they they can't afford it, and and so part of this is we want to be able to to find ways to make to help have those smaller landowners as well be able to go in and manage those the land the land better right uh, in a non-commercial been- way right that's why you've got this ab9 uh, forest and fire capacity program set up through the department of conservation yeah i guess yeah. i would yeah go ahead yeah i would make two observations i mean one thing about this you know massive investment that went on the wildfire package is it really does spread money around beyond just a cal fire and I think that that's good. I think Cal Fire has been tapped to do too many things. And they also have the challenge that, you know, a lot of their people get drawn away on fires for nine months of the year now. Uh, so but the fact that we have things over at the Department of Conservation, like this new sort of planning and capacity building program, money directly to different state conservancies and parks and DFW, Department of Fish and Wildlife, I think that's all a good way to help get a lot of these things on the ground without having it all be bottlenecked through Cal Fire, which just has too many responsibilities to my mind. It's the frontline firefighting crew, yep. Yeah, and the other observation that I would make, sort of going back to your sort of, you know, how are we making progress if we still have, you know, the forest practice rules that allow clear-cutting and, you know, a continuation of the cycle that's unhelpful. It's useful to remember that California's forest land is owned roughly half by the federal government, and of the half that's not that's privately held, roughly half non-industrial smaller landowners and half industrial landowners. So, to a large extent, we're talking about some portion of that quarter of the landscape that's industrially owned, and there's three quarters that is large, you know either largely unmanaged or less managed and has a different sort of priority and is also in a terrible condition. And that's probably an overstatement, is in a condition that's way less than optimal because of past logging and fire suppression. So there's just a lot of opportunity to my mind. Like, if we're going to move quickly, let's start with the areas where we have consensus and we can go ahead and be like, yeah, we can spend money with you know small landowners we can spend money on public lands get a lot of improvement there mm-hmm. and you know the industrial part of the landscape is a harder nut to crack 
And I think that uh-huh. the, what about 30 the economics by and the physics of fire are going to evolve that conversation. Mm-hmm. So how would, what role does the 30 by 30 plan have in this conversation? And can you, a, can you explain what it is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think you probably lost a few of your listeners right there. Right. So it's really interesting. There, yeah. There's a global push to dedicate, um, 30% of the land and, and, you know, coastal and inland waters to conservation purposes by 2030 as a way to backstop our decline in biodiversity and provide opportunities for recreation and all the other reasons why we like nature. And, you know, that's something that has been called for globally. It's um, something the Biden administration is pursuing nationally and something that the governor issued an executive order on last within the last year or so. And they're actively doing some planning to try and figure out how do we actually do that in California? There's been workshops and stuff. They haven't released anything yet to say exactly what that's going to mean. Um, but it's clearly going to have to include conservation um, on private lands. Um, that could be in the form of conservation easements or fee title acquisition. And there is a bunch of money in the state budget, uh, in the largely in the climate budget to implement on that sort of 30 by 30 and other associated nature-based solutions to climate. Um, you know, there's three quarters of a billion dollars running through the natural resource agency for that. Another $350 million through the wildlife conservation board, half a billion dollars at the coastal conservancy. So there's going to be real resources to, to make progress on a lot of those things. That half billion dollars for the Coastal Conservancy is probably of significant interest to Mendocino, given how much coast there is, and that can come inland quite significantly as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of um, a lot of resources, and all of these numbers that I'm talking about, except for the fire ones, the fire um, investments are all for this fiscal year. Everything else is over the next three years. So there's like, here's a big pile of money because we have money today. We still need to figure out exactly how we're going to put a lot of this on the ground in a thoughtful way. Mm-hmm. So 30 by 30, like you were just um, referencing, um, they're talking about having sort of a, a a strategy and a roadmap available in the springtime that will then inform how some of that money rolls out. So uh, what I'm hearing is that there are, there are just a whole lot of facets to legislating around climate change. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in every community that's specific to that community. Uh, Assembly- as, as we move forward, uh, because, of the, because of the way legislation is written, it's often fairly narrow in its development, but certainly I see this as a contributor to um, creating a healthier, healthier forest and, and certainly being a part of, the, part of that plan. Um, I would, if, if you, if you'll indulge me for a second, I want to, I've got, I do have a project I do want to talk about, which isn't in Mendocino County, but I think it's kind of, it kind of illustrative of what, what I'd like to see happen more. Uh, the program called, uh, a program called Redwoods Rising, uh, that is up in, uh, up in southern, uh, northern, very northern part of Humboldt County and southern part, southern part of Del Norte County. Redwoods National Park is there. Uh, the Park Service, has been partnering with uh, with the Yurok to be timber crews to come in and help them to uh, to un- try to undo some of the, the the bad things that happened with forest with with logging. 
Uh, so as I talked about, you know, it was logged, it was seeded, and then you got this huge overgrowth of, of, of everything. And so what the Eurocter with this crew is doing, they're coming in, they're actually harvesting trees commercially, uh, um, to help restore the forest, to help grow bigger redwood trees, which will sequester more carbon. Um, it's a net zero profit gain because the, whatever the, the, uh, the, the park service gets from, from the timber operator goes right back into the next, uh, phase of the project. And so I got a chance to see that firsthand, uh, this summer and spent the whole day, uh, with, uh, the folks with the, that are in Redwood National Park. Not only were we able to, to create a healthier forest, but also decommission roads and, um, and ultimately, you know, 15 years from now, 10 years from now, you're going to see major, major differences in there. But those are the same kinds of projects that really need to happen, you know, with smaller landowners as well, uh, to make those that more healthy. And when you, and the proof in the concept of all of this was, uh, recently Governor, Governor Newsom was up during the Calder fire. He, he had an area that had been where that they had gone in and done, done uh, forest management work in that area. And when the fire went through, there was very little damage and those trees, those bigger trees now will, will survive. Uh, the, in, in other areas where they're, where they're, where it is so overgrown, the fuel load is so high and so hot that it's really difficult for, for recovery in those areas. So the proof, there is proof that this, these concepts work. It's a little hard sometimes because we've gotten to a point where, where we were cutting down everything as far as, uh, in logging practices. And now we still have folks that don't want us to cut down even a single twig in, in there. We've got to get in the middle there to actually create, uh, something that's, uh, more resilient, um, uh, healthier and more biodiverse. And that is tough with when we've kind of, you know, told people that, you know, it's all good. We want it all to grow, but. But we've we've got to meet in the middle somewhere, right? And I guess the the way to sort of reinforce out of politics on uh, along the spectrum of politics is to have evidence based planning, right? Science based work going on out there, um, not economically driven, but science driven. We're facing a crisis, so I wonder if there are. I think I saw some language in some of the the climate legislation, but is there anything uh, that that you're working on or that you know of that actually does go through, measure, study, uh, analyze how this work is going and what the effects are, the longer term effects? Like, does it work? <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I, I think I make all the, maybe the, let Paul jump in here because he may have a, a better handle on that. I'll be honest with you, as a legislator, you get focused, unfortunately, sometimes very narrowly in what you're doing. Um, you start out, you cast a broad net, but things get narrower as you, as you move towards conclusion. Uh, and so I was focused on the work we were doing. Paul, I'm sure has a much better handle on the broader, on the broader package because that's what he does. But uh, now I just put you on the spot, Paul. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine. I like it there. Um, well, I mean, I think there's a couple of different ways to answer your question, Alicia. I mean, one of them is in terms of all of these investments in fire more broadly. Um, there was a fairly substantial bill that Senator Laird carried, um, SB four five six, I believe it was, that sets up a whole it. it 
puts a lot of the goals from the action plan that I was talking about at the top of the hour into statute and says we're going to have a comprehensive strategy for um, forest health, for community protection, a science review around, you know, impacts on chaparral management, a whole bunch of different things, and requires annual reporting out over the next 25 years, I think, really trying to build a record of what have we done what have the impacts been? Do we have we been seeing adverse impacts? Are are we seeing a lot of projects that have a whole bunch of controversy uh, for various reasons? So we actually have some thoughtful way of keeping track of that. So I was happy to see that we're we're actually trying to have enough vision going forward to say like, okay, is this is this working? Is this enough? Do we need to do more? Do we need to do differently? So. In, on the sort of large-scale ongoing investment level, I think that that is kind of what you were talking about. Yeah, because we then, know the practices that work that are effective for home hardening, right? We just need the resources, and I don't even think it's controversial. We just need to get the resources to pay for home hardening. But do we really know what helps forests? I mean, like you said, the landscape is completely different than it ever was historically. Uh, and we have ongoing timber practices that are continuing to exacerbate issues here. Like, do we know <laughs> what the right thing is to do? We've got a lot of tribal wisdom and um, historic knowledge of envir- tribal environmental uses uh, that we uh, certainly need to turn to and and um, learn more about but other than that what what do we know and i we well, just have a couple of minutes left so sorry for throwing that large picture question at you at the very end yeah and i would just say that um there are areas where we have pretty broad consensus like around the redwood rising project that Zimmerman wood was talking about a few minutes ago that was the area that was added to the parks in what the 1970s where there was, you know, a 24-hour-a-day logging happening just to knock down all the big old trees. And so that whole area is just mile after mile of dense, young redwood plantation. Everyone agrees. I don't think there's any doubt, like, that's an unnatural condition. Let's try and accelerate stand structure there. That's easy, low-hanging fruit. We know we need to do that. It's going to bear big climate benefits, good fire benefits, habitat benefits. There are other places where... You know, it's a closer call. And so maybe we just don't start there. Right. Because meanwhile, the trees are, are growing and if, if the fire is not blazing through there, they're sequestering carbon. I'm out of the size of the tree. I don't know. We need a well, lot I mean, more. Just, we need a lot more conversations a, about this. Right. And there's a lot of things that we can agree on and we should probably start there. And not wait to solve the hardest part of the question first. Right. And that what we agree on for sure is protecting homes and communities. And AB9 does try to get that work scaled up so that people, even people who don't have a lot of resources, can still be safe from wildfires in their communities. Well, I think AB9 really is focusing more uh, on the community-wide level or the air regional-wide level there. So I had another bill, AB38, which was really focused on home hardening. Uh, that was a, that was uh, a couple of years ago, and there's been additional funding put in the budget for that. So that, uh, but part of this is, is is helping people to understand and change their behaviors. You know, I've I've been enough seen enough fire uh, sites to realize those people that uh, did the home hardening, and some of it's not easy to do uh, because it's not as attractive as you'd like it to be. 
All right. I'm going to have to cut it off there. Assemblymember Jim Wood, Paul Mason of Pacific Forest Trust, thank you so much. I'm Alicia Bales. I'm going to send it back to Philo uh, for Democracy Now! We've been talking about uh, legislation signed last week by Governor Newsom to deal with climate wildfire. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Alicia. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.